If you want to open your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, um, there's a uh, I, I, I fear that I might have too much information, but I don't want to overwhelm you. I want to try to make sure that we can get uh, the message of this passage across and that it will also be able to something that will, will, will speak to you and be able to, to, to minister to you. So um, our passage is longer. We're going to read from verses 12 of chapter 1 all the way through to verse 22. Okay, so we're going to read these verses and then, and then work through it. So um, follow along. As I read, and I just wanted to also acknowledge, I brought my son, Josiah, with me today, so if you get a chance to say hi to him. And uh, the, the Hausners are here. Their son works with me in the youth group up at, up at Cambridge. And so um, I was able to talk to them a little bit earlier and just wanted to give them a shout-out. So, All right, let's go ahead and just look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Follow along as I read, verses 12 through 22. For our boast is this the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we were not writing to you anything other than that what you read and acknowledge. And I hope that you will fully acknowledge, just as you did partially acknowledge us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia to come, to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. I was, when, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanius and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it was always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Let's just pause and ask God to bless our time in his word. Father, thank you for this passage. I pray that as I talk about it and try to explain it, that you'd help me and help the Spirit of God to really be our true teacher today. And Father, if there's those out here in the the audience who maybe perhaps don't know Christ or perhaps um, need to take a step of faith today, I pray that that, that you would show us what that is. And Father, I pray that as we walk away today that we would trust you more. Thank you for this. Just, again, I ask for your strength and, and power as I preach today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you a question. Are you trusting God today? Are you trusting God today? I want to ask you a second question. How do you know that you're trusting God? How do you know that you're trusting God? I think it's a, it's a harder question to answer. If someone were to ask you, do you know if you're trusting God? I think if you're a believer today here today, you'd say, well, yeah, I am. 
But the question is, how, how do you know it gets into a much more complex issue in maybe our heart and mind? And I think what scriptures reveal and our life experience reveals is that we really only know if we really are trusting God when we go through trials and we go through the, the difficult things of life. That's ultimately what reveals to us whether we have really genuine faith and, and how strong our faith genuinely is. Remember what it says in 1 Peter 1, it says that when we go through a testing or a trial, what happens? It's like we're going through the refining fire of God that our faith would come out more pure on the other side of that trial. I, uh, one of my colleagues up at Faith is Andy Stearns. I don't know if maybe you've met him. He's a, he's a really nice fellow. But this, this last year and a half has been an incredible trial in his life. His wife was experiencing some difficulties breathing and they went into the doctor and they diagnosed her with a tumor around, it was wrapped around her heart, right below, or right, right next to her lungs. And it was in such a, a terrible place that they were not able to do any kind of surgery. The only thing that would really work would be uh, chemo. And at the time, it was a blow. It was a, it was a shock to the, the entire faith family, but it was a real shock to the Stearnses. And they, they go to my church, so I'm, I'm actually one of... Uh, their, their pastors. And um, Andy said this, and I, this is the quote I wanted to kind of bring up with that, is this, he said, you don't really know if you believe the scriptures until it has to be real in your life. You don't really know what your faith is like until you have to go through that crucible of the trial. And I'm here to say that Andy said, and he, he says it even to this day, I, I do believe and those promises of God and, and the, the, the faithfulness of God become so important to you when you're in the midst of those trials. Well, I, I wanted to close that, that story out is that Robin went through her entire treatments and just this last, about two months ago, she was declared to be cancer-free. So we're praising the Lord for that. She's got a long path of recovery to go, just getting her health back and stuff like that. But thank God that, that she's uh, on the path to, forgiveness, or, uh, to, to, to uh, being restored. Now, if, basically, this sermon is about this. This is the main idea of the sermon, if you're taking notes, and that is this, is that God wants us to trust his faithfulness. He wants us to trust him more. If you're here today and you're a believer, you need to take the next step of, 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 of trust. But if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Christ, maybe today is the first day that you actually will understand who Jesus is as your Savior and place your faith in him. Either way, God wants us to take the next step of faith. And uh, let's go back into the text. And what I want us to do is I want us to try to, to help you to understand the basic structure of the passage and, and try to help you to understand the basic flow of what's taking place here. In verses 12 through 14, Paul gives the major operating principle of, of how he conducted his life and ministry. And... Um, the, 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 the thing that you need to understand about what's going on in the book of 2 Corinthians is that the, second, the church there in Corinth and in Achaia, they have been led astray to doubt the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul's integrity and his authenticity, his apostolic authority is in question. And there are really two sources of, of, of uh, people that are actually doing this. 
The first one was an, was an attack from the outside. There were people from, from the Jerusalem, Israel area that had come. These were called, the, they called themselves the super apostles. Now, if you know someone who is, you know, I know you guys are looking for a pastor, right? A senior pastor. I know you guys have two pastors. But if you're looking for a senior pastor and your senior pastor comes in in the candidating process and calls himself a super pastor, I'm a super pastor, probably better vote no on that guy, okay? These guys were the super apostles and they were claiming to have greater authority than the Apostle Paul, and they were undermining him. They were, and, and they were beginning, the, some of the Corinthian believers were beginning to doubt whether Paul was the real deal and whether his message was right. So that was the attack from without. There was another thing that's going on in the book of 2 Corinthians, though, and that is there was an attack from within the church, okay? There was an attack from within, and um, as, you, as you study this out, you're going to be able to kind of figure this out. In chapter 2, we find out that there was a person who probably led a rebellion against Paul. Now, we say probably because there are other interpretations, but I think the, the majority of commentators kind of take it like this. And what had happened is he began to doubt the authenticity and the integrity of Paul as well. So there was a tax from without and there was attacks from within. And it could be that maybe these motivated the others, but the, the fact is that the church was in turmoil. And so Paul is put into a position in the book of 2 Corinthians where he has to defend his, himself and he has to defend his apostolic authority. Why? Because if people doubt his apostolic authority, they will ultimately doubt the message that he was preaching, and if they doubt the message, they will abandon Jesus Christ himself. Okay, so this is the, the, really the heartbeat of the, the majority of the book of 2 Corinthians, is Paul explaining his credentials to, to, the, to, the, to the Corinthians, and that they need to stick with him and his message that he originally preached to them. You know, 2 Corinthians is awesome. It's, it's one of the most autobiographical books of Paul, and it also reveals his heart. You know, if you want to see what uh, uh, the heart of, 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 of a true minister of, of, of Jesus Christ is like, read the book of 2 Corinthians, and you'll see, like I, I think it says it in, in, chapter six, in chapter 6 or 7, he says that he bears his heart wide open. And that's really the heartbeat here of verses 12 through 14. Look what it says there in verse 12. This is the key operating principle of Paul for the entire, his entire ministry. He says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not of earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so towards you. Those two, uh, those two words there, simplicity and sincerity, really capture what Paul's trying to talk about here. Um, the, the, the word simplicity has this idea of being upright in his dealings. It, it has the idea that Lexicon says that he has personal integrity in the words that he says and in the actions that he does. When you look at the Apostle Paul, he's the real deal. He's authentic. He's genuine. And he's not duplicitous. And that's actually what the second word says. Uh, the, the idea there is that he has godly sincerity. Sincerity here um, is the idea of the purity of motives. That he does not, he is free of, are you ready for this word? Dissimulation. 
In other words, he doesn't say one thing to one person and another thing to another person. He doesn't act one way and then and speak a different way. He is the real deal. And the, the key idea here is that Paul is authentic. When he showed up to preach the gospel at Corinth, he was the real deal, the authentic apostle of Jesus Christ. And what he's going to be explaining in the book of 2 Corinthians is that is that he's really just laying out his motives and laying out his intentions and his actions and his words so that the Corinthians will understand that he has never been duplicitous with them. He's never um, backed off of, of, of them. And so as you re- finish reading through verses 13, 14, he's basically saying, I am going to be transparent with you. I'm going to be open with you. And there's a, a, another thing that comes up in verses 12 through 14 that's very interesting and almost kind of shocking to us, and that is this. Paul says that he's going to make a boast. Now normally, we would say that a gospel minister would never want to be proud and make a boast, right? That would be something that would be kind of contrary to the gospel. But Paul says, I'm going to make this boast. And um, he's act- as, you, as you study out the book of 2 Corinthians, you're going to find out that over and over again, this idea of a boast is going to come up. Well, what does he say at the end of verse 14? His boast, well, in verse 12, it's this, that he has a clean conscience before God. Okay, that's his boast. And then he's going to say, ultimately, what he wants his boast to be is that before the Lord Jesus Christ, at the judgment seat of Christ, he could look to them and say, these Corinthians, those who I had a chance to lead to the Lord and disciple and bring along in the path of Christ, these are my boast. And that they would in turn turn to Paul and say, Paul is our boast. It's a different kind of boasting that happens in the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, my, my, my outline today is really going to be developed from verses 15 through 22. And again, remember the theme is that we want to trust God. And what I want us to see is, is three basic areas that we can trust God in, in, his, in how Paul deals with this issue these issues that are going on with the Corinthians. So what I want us to do is, first of all, look in verses 15 through 17. Let me read that again, and I'm going to show you our first area. It says, Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first. What's he sure of? The boast. It says, Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first, so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come, ba- come back to you by way of Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea? I was, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make uh, my plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the, at the same time? So uh, the, here's the, the key area, and that is this, is that we need to trust God in relationship to the plans of God, in relationship to his plans. One of the things that is going on in the book of 2 Corinthians is that Paul is explaining his travels to, to the Corinthians because his plans changed. In fact, we have other places in the scripture where Paul explains what he planned to do and then his plans changed. And that became a source of criticism among the church at Corinth. Um, in, you can look it up on your own, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says that he had planned to come 
and actually go up to Macedonia and then come down and spend the winter with them. And he says to them, I don't want to just do this in a, in a short while. I wanted, to take my, I wanted to take my time to be able to spend time with you. And uh, he doesn't want to have a short visit. Well, guess what happened? That very same thing happened shortly after that. And that was that there was this crisis, this internal rebellion that took place. And so Paul had to make a very short, quick visit. It's called the painful visit. In fact, if you look at it in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. So what did he have to do? He kind of had to break his original plan of making a short trip. And he made a short trip, he came over there, and he tried to deal with the discipline situation and be able to kind of squelch the fire that had started there at Corinth. So he had to kind of, if you want to think about it like this, he had to kind of break his word. He had to break his plan, his original plan. Okay? At that time, he told them, probably at that time, is that what he wanted to do then is when he, when he leaves Ephesus, he wants to come and visit them and then go up to Macedonia for a short time and then come back and spend the winter with them. Well, guess what? That plan, that plan also changed. And so this becomes a source of criticism at the church. You know, can you imagine what people were saying? I'm sure that you've never criticized your pastor ever before or you've never listened to anyone criticize your pastor before, Right? So you can imagine what they're saying. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said he was not going to do a short visit. What did he do? He did a short visit. Paul said he was going to come and spend time with us, and then he was going to go up to Macedonia and come back down. But that's not what he's doing. Paul's actually going to go up and just go straight to Macedonia. He's not coming back here. Okay? I don't know if you've ever had friends that maybe said, hey, we'd like to come visit you. And then last minute you get a phone call and they say, we can't make it. It's disappointing, right? And you think... What's going on with that? Did we do something wrong? Or is there a problem? Well, this becomes a source of criticism at the church of Corinth. And people are using this as kind of like leverage to say that Paul is not the real deal. He's not authentic as an apostle. And so what I think what Paul's saying here is this. If you kind of look down where he says this, he says, he asked two questions in verse 17. He says, in verse 17, he says, Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? In other words, was his intention wrong or was he deceiving them when he first said these plans? No. And I think what Paul's wanting them to do is he's saying, you need to give me the benefit of the doubt that this was my plan, it was a good plan, and what has changed? Things out of my circumstances. God has brought circumstances into my, into, into my, into in my way where I cannot change the circumstances. And then he asked the question here. The, the second question is, do I make my plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. In other words, is Paul using worldly wisdom to be able to make his plans? And, and the, the answer is no, he's not. Now, sometimes I think we think that Paul has this divine route, you know, divine phone line to God, and just everything that he did was spelled out for him. But that's not exactly the way Paul operated. There are times when he got a direct vision from God, remember the Macedonian call, and God said, go here. So he did it. But in many respects, Paul operated like you and I did. And he prayed about things, he, he summed things up, he made wise decisions, 
But there are times when our plans are affected by the plan of God. And here's the thing. Are we willing to trust God in the midst of that? Okay? I, w- I could honestly say that I think as you read through 2 Corinthians, the, the, the things that affected Paul and changed him to be able to change his plans were, were very dramatic. First of all, you had the rebellion at the church. We also find out that there was a near-death experience at Ephesus. Those things changed Paul's plans. And he's saying, I'm trying to adapt to what God wants me to do. The question is, Corinthians, will you adapt to the plan of God? You know what? We can make our plans, can't we? We may have everything figured out. And you may have prayed about it, and you may have wise plans, you may have things all figured out, but the thing is, we don't necessarily know if our plans are going to align with the plan of God. Here's the thing. When our plans get changed, are we willing to trust God? If God is faithful, if God is trustworthy, If God is worth believing in, then when our earthly plans get changed, we have the responsibility to turn to God and say, yes, God, I will believe you, I will trust you, you know, because why? Because you are sovereign. If we really believe that God is in control, if we really believe that God is sovereign, then what is is God asking us to do? It's, It's to take the step of faith to actually step out and believe in who, what, what, what he says. Now, let's go back and revisit the Stearnses. You know, Andy is at a critical point in his life in that he just started his doctoral studies. <laughs> um, another thing happened to Andy. Um, I don't know if you guys know who Dr. Paul Hartog is. Uh, we, love Dr. Pa- we love Dr. Paul around faith. He's, uh, you know, it's kind of like when, he, when, uh, when they handed out brains, he got in line twice, I think, you know? I mean, we're really thankful for Dr. Paul. Um, but you'd never know that. He's a very humble guy. Well, Dr. Paul, Dr. Myron Houghton stepped down from the seminary this last year because he retired. Dr. Paul is coming up to the seminary, and guess who's filling some of those classes in some of those areas? It's Dr., it's, it's, it's Mr. Stearns, Andy. A lot of things are going on in his life, and at the same time, God is saying, Andy, you and your family are going to go through this trial. It's possible. It's probable. I'm almost certain there are times when Robin and Andy, as they cried together and tried to understand why God is doing this, that they said, why, God? Why, are, why is this your plan for us? <laughs> I'm sure you've been there too. Why are you bringing this into our life now? And the question is, are we willing to trust God in the midst of that plan? And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Will you trust the plan of God? Because I didn't change this plan. I had a good plan. I had several plans that, that were going to work out. But God ultimately is the one who changed the plan, and I'm going with God's plan. Are we willing to trust him for that? Let's look at the second area now. The second area is in verses 18 through 20. Okay, 18 through 20. Let me read it, read it again. It says, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, 
For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our, our amen to God for his glory. The second area that we need to trust God in, and because we can trust God, is that we must trust the promises of God. Okay? Our first point today was that we must trust the plans of God. Secondly, we must trust the promises of God. The promises of God. Now what's interesting here is this, is that the, 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 the language of yes and no is interesting in this passage, isn't it? It's, and we've probably all used this a time or two, probably out of context. You know, you say to your kids, or maybe you say to your spouse, let your yay be yay, right? You know, we go back to the King James language and we, we use that, that language. What's, what, what's it going to be? You know, what's your vote? Um, the language of yes and no here is probably an allusion to an oath. If you go to James chapter 5, it talks about the fact that uh, we should not make oaths to God. Jesus also said that in the Sermon on the Mount, that it's, it's a bad idea to make oaths. And the reason why Jesus says that is because I think what was happening with the Jews is they said, I only have to speak the truth when I give an oath, right? I only have to speak the truth when I'm going to give an oath. And, the, and Jesus says, that's not, that's not right. You need to be faithful and truthful in what you say 100% of the time. Why would you be more truthful when you're giving an oath? And so Paul here, I think, probably feels pressure to want to try to give an oath and basically say something like this, you know, scout's honor, or whatever a scout does, I did not lie to you beforehand. But he refuses that kind of language, and instead what Paul does is he makes a direct appeal to the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. Let me help you to kind of maybe understand the, 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 the logic here, the rationale. What he's basically saying is this. You Corinthians are doubting me and you're doubting my message. But I want to tell you that I am a genuine apostle of God and the message that I've got is not coming on the basis of my authority. It's not a message that I invented. I got this message directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember when that happened? Acts chapter 9. Paul was on the road to Damascus and he had a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ Jesus Christ himself called him into the to ministry and gave him the gospel. And Galatians chapter 1 talks about the fact that he didn't have to go to the apostles. He didn't have to do anything else to try to get his authority because he had it directly from Jesus Christ. And so what he, I think, I think the, the message, if you, if you look there in verse 18, or excuse me, verse 19, when, when Paul says this, he says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Paul was the founding missionary there at Corinth. He was the one who opened the scriptures and he was the one who explained the gospel and probably personally led many of them to the Lord. I'm sure many after that, after he left, also came to Christ. But the point is, is that he was the founding missionary. Can you imagine what that would be like? I don't know if you know or remember who led you to Christ, who shared the gospel with you. What would that be like if you turned against them? I was in a deacon's meeting one time. It was not at my current church, so 
I'll just throw that out. Uh, but I was at a, at a deacon's meeting one time, and uh, there was a little bit of a rebellion going on in the church. There was about four families or five families in the church that were kind of had some unrest, and they, they had a problem with the senior pastor. It wasn't me. I was an assistant pastor at the time. And uh, I just remember in one of the meetings, I felt really sorry for this one family, and uh, uh, my pastor turned to him, and he just said, listen, do you remember when I came over to your home, and I opened up the Bible, and I shared Christ with you? And we talked about the gospel, and right there in your living room, we got down on our knees, and you trusted Christ as your Savior. Do you remember that? And right there in the deacon's meeting, he just started weeping. And he said, Pastor, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about this. Now, it ultimately didn't change the trajectory of what was happening, but it was a moment where my pastor could express to this man I haven't changed. My sincerity for you, my love for you is the same. And he offered him right there. He said, Please, let's just get, let's have a Bible study. Let's, 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 let's get together. My point is this. What Paul's trying to say is this. He preached the authentic gospel there. He was God's ambassador to the Corinthians. And Paul doesn't go and try to say, I, I, I scouts honor, I, I really am being honest with you. He doesn't do that. He says, go back to the record and look at how I preached the gospel to you. That demonstrates the authenticity and the genuineness of who I really am, that I really am an apostle of Lord Jesus Christ. And then he appeals to, by appealing to the faithfulness of God, he then appeals to what we see, how we see the faithfulness of God, and that is we see it in his promises, we see it in his promises. And these verses are very, they're very interesting because different people take them different ways. If you notice there, it says, uh, verse 20, this is kind of like probably the, one of the most misquoted verses in all of the Bible. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. In who? In Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. What, uh, what some branches of Christianity do is they try to say that really the, a lot of the promises of God, especially in the Old Testament, I actually read, read one commentator who said this, he said, all the promises given to Israel are fulfilled in this statement here today. In other words, what he's saying is this, is that the promises that God has made to Israel, the individual promises are no longer valid promises to the nation of Israel because they're kind of in a summarized fashion, they're summarized in the person of Jesus Christ. I don't think that's what Paul's trying to say, okay? I think actually what he's saying is this, is that Jesus Christ is the instrument through which God fulfills his promises. And I, I believe that all the promises that God has made to the nation of Israel will one day ultimately be fulfilled. Not in spite of Christ, but they'll be fulfilled through Christ, okay? Christ is ultimately the person who all the Old Testament covenants point to, and he's the one who actually will bring about the fulfillment of those promises to the nation of Israel. Now, all of those promises don't necessarily belong to us, but there are many, 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 many promises in here in God's word that do directly apply to us, don't they? And I tell you what, when you're going through the hard times, when you're going through the trials of life, where do we need to turn? 
we need to turn to the faithfulness of God as, ex- as, ex- as it is expressed in the promises of his word. You know, Jesus has promised what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus promised, he said, I guess it's more of a statement of truth, but he says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus doesn't change. If God is faithful, and if his promises are true, then we can trust him. We can trust in Jesus Christ. We can trust in the God the Father. Now, contrast that with us, you know? And I I like where Paul goes with this. He's going to the faithfulness of God to demonstrate his own authenticity. He doesn't necessarily go to ourselves. Now, have you ever made a promise that you've broken? You know? Um, I have to confess to you that I have. I have made promises that I have broken. I'm not proud of those things, but I have. One time, I promised a a teen. Actually, I did fulfill this, but it was was the wrong way. I promised a teen, this is, I was actually in Minnesota at the time, and I, I had a teen in my youth group, his name was Lance, and um, I told him that I was going to meet him, I think it was like on Wednesday for lunch at a pizza place. It was an all-you-can-eat pizza place. And so I actually was going to classes at the time. I went to classes, and uh, I totally forgot about Lance. I, taught, I forgot about my promise. And so what happened is I went home to my apartment, and I made myself lunch, and I ate lunch. I was starving, so I just really ate a lot, a, a, a lot. And all of a sudden, on one of the last bites of my sandwich, the phone rang. And there was poor old Lance in that pizza place, and he goes, hey, Pastor Doug, I've been here like 45 minutes. Are you going to come? Lance, I will be right there. So I hopped in my car, and I buzzed over to this pizza place. And you know what I did? Where's Matt? Oh, there he is. I did what every good youth pastor would do. I sat down and I ate an all-you-can-eat pizza meal on top of my lunch. You know? Now, I was probably too proud to tell him that I had already had lunch. I didn't even tell him that. I just, I just went ahead and did it anyway. And I was in trouble for, for the, you know, at least a couple days there. But I mean, the point is, is that our promises... Not that great sometimes, right? We, we can make promises and it's not, not secure. But aren't you so thankful that our plan of salvation and the security we have is not based upon our faithfulness. It's ultimately based upon the faithfulness of God. And so this declaration, it says here, very, very official, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, this is the message that we preach to you. This is the message we proclaim to you. This is, it's, it's the, it's, if you want to think of it, the revelation of God's faithfulness to us that God is believable. God, you can trust him. He's credible. And, and this is the, the, the very gospel that we have. And friend, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, if you need forgiveness of sins, and assurance that one day you will live forever with God, today could be the day of salvation for you. I would encourage you to come talk to me. Come talk to one of the pastors. Come talk to maybe if you have a friend here because today is the salvation for you. But let me say, if you're here today and you're a believer and you're going through tough times and you're discouraged and maybe you're tempted to walk away from God, remember that God is faithful and he's faithful in his promises to us. Let's look at the third area. The third area there is in verses 21 and 22. 
So we've seen that we must trust God in his plans. Secondly, we must trust God because of his promises. And finally, we see here that we must trust God because of his provisions. And look what it says in verses 21 and 22. It says, And it is God who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Notice here in this passage that Paul focuses on the actions of God. So in verses 18 through 20, we have the character of God, that he is faithful, he is believable, he is credible. And now we see why, because of his actions, of how he has dealt with believers today. And what is he saying here? Look at the four actions that he says. First of all, God establishes believers. He establishes us. Number two, he has anointed us. Now the anointing here is not a charismatic issue so much as it is, it's basically, it's an explanation of that he's given us his spirit. This is further explained in verse uh, 22. He says, who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Basically, what what he's saying is this, is that the plan of salvation is secure because God has given us proofs or evidences of his his work before he's actually fulfilled all his promises. What is the proof? He has given us his spirit. The scriptures teach us that the Spirit of God is given to each person at the point of salvation and they come and permanently take up residency in our life. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And at that point, the Spirit of God is like a seal. A seal in, the ancient, cult, in ancient cultures was a sign of ownership. It also meant that, so the only person who could open up that seal was the person who owned it. So you, if, you are, if you have trusted Christ, You are bought with a price and you are owned by the Lord Jesus Christ. It also shows us security because the only person who can open it is the person who owns it. And so these are guarantees, these are provisions that God has given to us that guarantee that that we will ultimately be, that the promises of God will be fulfilled and we ultimately will be saved. Let me put it like this. The only thing that we have to hang on to right now is God's word. (laughs) Basically, we're a group of Christians, you know, Christians ever since Pentecost, who believe what God says in his word is true. And we're hanging on to the promises of God because when we reach the point where we are going to be ushered into eternity, The only thing we have to cling to, the only thing we have to hang to is the promises of God. Well, how do we know they're true? He's given us a down payment on these things called the Spirit of God. So what is this down payment like? I'm sure many of you here in the room have purchased maybe a a vehicle or maybe you've purchased um, a home. What happens when the realtor asks you to say, are you really serious about this property? What do they ask you to do? They ask you to get out your checkbook and they ask you to write a down payment check. You know, $200,000, $500,000, whatever it is. They say, if you're really serious about this, let's put some earnest money down. And what what does that tell the buyer? It tells the buyer 
these people are serious about fulfilling their, their, their desire to want to purchase this home. The Holy Spirit is a down payment. The Holy Spirit is that earnest money. It's a, and it says here, a guarantee that God will ultimately fulfill his, pro- his promises. And you know what the Spirit does for us? The Spirit is the source of hope. The Spirit is the source of comfort. The Spirit is the source of truth in our lives. When you're going through difficult times, like, like Paul was and like the Corinthians were doing, it's the Spirit of God who can guide us. It's the Spirit of God who can comfort us. It's the Spirit of God is the provision of God to help us and na- help us to navigate through the difficult times of life. So why can we trust God? Why, can we, why is he trustworthy? It's because of his provisions of the Spirit of God in our lives now that we can say, you know what? He will one day fulfill those promises in the future. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Remember Abraham? He was was promised a truckload by God. How many of those promises did he see fulfilled? He basically saw one of them fulfilled. And when did it take place? At the very, near the very end of his life. And that was the birth of his son Isaac. All the other promises that, he, that God promised were, were just something that he realized himself. The book of Hebrews says this, that he realized that he began not to hope for a city on this world, but he began, to vote, he began to hope for a future city, the future city of God. And he began to realize that the promises of God were something that was not going to take place just all of, in his lifetime, but they were promises that were going to be fulfilled in future generations. You know what? We are in the same shoes as Abraham. We have a lot of promises of God, a lot of promises of future salvation, but the question is this, when God, when are you going to fulfill these things? And the answer is, it's in his timing, and we have to trust him for his his faithfulness that he will fulfill his promises. Okay, let me go back to my original question today. Are you trusting God today? Is it real to you? Is the the word of God and the promises of God real in your life today? Let me ask you the the second harder question, that is, how do you know you're trusting God today? As the trials of life come up, as the testing comes up, my friend, you can trust in God. You can. And I'm so thankful that God helps us to grow and to trust him more in the midst of those things. God wants us to trust his faithfulness. Paul had to learn that himself, but he also was trying to help the Corinthians to learn it as well. Let's follow in their footsteps as we try to understand this for ourselves. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is the Son of God. Thank you so much that He died on the cross and he rose again. And Father, I want to thank you so much that we have the promise of eternal salvation and the hope to look forward to. Help us, Father, to cling to that, to believe it, and then to live it out every day in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.